Open your Bibles this morning to Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to be looking today at verses 13 through 16, I'll read them to you. The Word of God says as follows, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways, that I may know thee, so that I may find favor in thy sight. Consider, too, that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And then he said to him, If thy presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not by thy going with us, so that we, I and thy people, may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth. And this is the word of God. Here we are in Exodus chapter 33. And in order to understand the text, of course, we got to give you the appropriate background. In Exodus 32, Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the law of God. And Moses is up on the mountain about 40 days. And while Moses is receiving the law of God, written by the very finger of God, well, absence didn't make the heart grow fonder. The people in Israel get restless, and they begin to sin. Now, you got to remember one thing. Every time God was in the mountain, the mountain quaked, right? There was lightning, there was thunder, there was a cloud, there was a peal of, a peal of lightning and thunder, there was a cloud there. And it was a terrifying, terrifying sight. And probably some of them probably concluded that, hey, it's been 40 days. Moses isn't here. You know, maybe Moses died up on the mountain, right? So what do they do? Hey, when in doubt, create a God. And they go to Aaron. And they impress upon Aaron. And when I say impress, it's forcefully, it's a mob, goes to Aaron and say, hey, create for us a God. Build us a God. And they take all of their jewelry. You know, the Bible says that when they left Egypt, they left with spoils. They left with wealth. They left with jewelry. These were the slaves that now all of a sudden had spoils and had wealth, and they take their jewelry and they donate it for the creation of a God. And when the calf is made, they go into a festival and in a feast, and they commit brazen, brazen sin. Idolatry, rebellion, sexual sin, and you see that in, Ex in uh, Exodus 32, verses 6 and 25, and they worshipped the idol. What they actually did is they had left Egypt physically, but they returned to Egypt spiritually. And as a result, Moses comes down the mountain. Joshua meets him. Hey, he says, there's the sound of war in the camp out there. And it's, it's not a good sound, right? And he warns Moses. Moses sees what's going on. Moses gets so mad, he takes the tablets. He throws them. He shatters them. 
He asks who's going to be on the Lord's side. The Levites respond that they'll be on the, the Lord's side and a great judgment falls among the Israelites. God is angry. And His purpose is to destroy Israel as the Lord calls them an obstinate people. Moses goes back in chapter 33. Moses goes back to intercede for God. To intercede for God on behalf of himself and to intercede for God on behalf of the people. And in this, we see Moses as a type of, not merely an intercessor, but we see Moses as a type of Christ pleading for sinful people, asking God for mercy on their behalf. And in, in the text we're going to look at today, in Exodus 13, in 33, verses 13 through 16, we're going to see the three requests that Moses, Moses the intercessor, makes of God. And it reflects the heart of Moses, and I believe it should reflect the heart of every believer. And Moses prays that, that he would know the ways of God, that Moses would know God, and that Moses would have the favor of God. And I'd like to focus on the last two requests in particular, that Moses would know God and Moses would have the favor of God. Look at verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways, that I may know thee, so that I may find favor in thy sight. Consider too, that this nation is thy people. Now God is angry. Here's the context. God is angry. He says, look at this obstinate people. I should just probably destroy them all. Look at how rebellious they are. They're treasonous. They reject the law of God. And Moses goes up to plead. And he says, if I have found favor in thy sight, first he asks, let me know thy ways. Teach me thy ways, Lord. What is the purpose of the church? Why do we have a church? We have a church not that we could have a community of like-minded other people that come together and moan, complain, and share their, their thing. We have a church so that we would know the mind of God. Because in knowing the ways of God, we get to know God. In this Day and age where so many people say that doctrine is irrelevant, all of this is irrelevant, all that matters is, you know, God knows my heart and everything else. Well, listen, doctrine isn't irrelevant because doctrine reveals the character of God. And in knowing the character of God, we get to know God. We get to know how God thinks. We were talking before the service. Uh, I was speaking with Janet a little bit about some of the Old Testament and, and just some of how do you interpret the Old Testament. Some things are given specifically for Israel. But even in those things, there is divine principle that transcends both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we look for application. We look for, to see the character of God, the attributes of God, which are eternal and last forever. So the first thing Moses says is that if I have found favor, if I have found grace in your sight, let me know thy ways. If there's one thing that the church in America needs to go back to is knowing the ways of God. 
Churches have become nothing more, nothing less than just Christian uh, social circles. And there isn't much tolerance in the church of Jesus Christ for getting into the depth. I remember when I was young, when I was young and, and we were in the church, you know, we would gather around with people and we would sit and talk about the things of the Bible and we would have discussions about different aspects of, of doctrine and different aspects of theology. And I want to tell you, I didn't run with the hoity-toity pseudo-intellectuals. I'm talking about your average run-in-the-mill Christian. And we would talk about these things, and we would have friends that perhaps went to a different denomination, and, and we would talk, and we would converse back and forth, and we would amen, and we would battle. But there was an interest in the things of God. If I see anything that's happening, is that is dwindling. That is waning. You ask most people to defend what they believe, they can't tell you what it is that they believe. Listen, you don't have to be, you know, a, a PhD in apologetics, but let me tell you something about Christianity. We believe Christianity primarily because it's true. That means it has reason. It has rhyme to it. Christianity is something that is true. True biblical Christianity is not a myth. And we don't believe it because it makes us feel good. And we don't believe it because the people in the church are, are so nice. And we don't believe it because we love the music. We believe the Word of God because the Word of God is true. Jesus said it. Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is truth. And so we see here in Moses a man who has a heart after God. A man who, who is desirous of the things of God. And he cries out to God, let me know your ways. He then says, let me know thy ways. Why? And he gives us the answer. That I may know thee. I don't know how many times I say this. I know I'm redundant a lot. My wife reminds me of that all the time. But I don't know how many times I say this, but again, it's worth reiterating. Salvation, the new birth, is not our get-out-of-hell-free ticket. It is a new birth. God has opened up the barrier. The veil has been torn in two. And through the new birth, we can come to know God. And I want to be crystal clear with this. The reward, the satisfaction, the joy, the peace is God Himself. He is the reward. We do not have to wait until we drop dead and the resurrection from the dead to begin to enjoy the blessings of salvation. If any man or woman is in Christ, the minute that they're saved, they have access to the throne of God. Does that not thrill you? That we could come before God, all oh, the Word of God says, that we could come before Him with boldness and come into the throne room and find grace and mercy and help in time of need. I don't know about you, but that thrills me to death. 
When I'm alone with the Lord and I could pray and I could say, Lord, I come into your throne room. The fact that I could even be speaking to a sovereign and not a sovereign, the sovereign, and he would pause to listen to this poor man's mouth and to hear him, the very, very fact of that, that he would be concerned, that he would grant me an audience, that along with me is my great intercessor, Jesus Christ, along with me is the Holy Spirit who is praying for me with groanings too deep for words, and I could come before the presence of Almighty God, and I could know that he hears, and I could know that he answers, and I could know that he could do, and I know that there's nothing, nothing, nothing impossible with God that is given to us by the new birth that is given to us by being born again oh my goodness church please I beg you I implore of you I beg you with every fiber of our being do not ignore prayer do not ignore time alone with God do not ignore getting into his word do not ignore please I beg you with everything I have the privilege that has been given to us as believers Oh my goodness, persecution can come upon the nation. We could be thrown in jail. We could be in prison. But they can never stop the believer from worshiping the one true God. And let me tell you something. As the storm clouds gather on the horizon, as darkness is descending upon the land, the people, as it says in Daniel 11.32, the people who know their God will display strength and do mighty deeds. It's the people who know their God. You see the imperative? You see the necessity for knowing God? Moses' desire was clearly the Lord. He has not taken his, uh, lightly his relationship with the Lord. Look at Exodus 33, verses 10 and 11. Look what it says. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, Moses would pitch his tent outside the camp. And where Moses pitched his tent, guess who followed? The glory of God. Look what it says. When all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord, listen to these words. Oh my goodness, listen to these words. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. Oh my goodness. You ever been before the Lord like that? You ever sought the Lord like that? Wouldn't you want to be the one wherever you pitched your tent that the, the Spirit of God followed you there? I say all the time, that is the pursuit of my life. Many years ago, I claimed, oh, bad word, I took Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 as my life verse. 
Jeremiah 23, 24. Turn there real quick. Anybody ever says to me, what is your life verse? This is my life verse. My email is J-E-R-9-2-3-2-4-A-C-E, just to give you an idea. Listen what the prophet Jeremiah says. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he knows, listen to this, that he knows and he understands me. We got a lot of people that may understand some things about God, but they don't know God. We got a lot of people who claim to know God, but don't understand the ways of God. What did the prophet Jeremiah say? Let him who boasts boast of this, that he knows and understands me. And that knowing is not merely intellectual. It's all-encompassing. Let him understand that he knows and understands me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Moses enjoyed an amazing relationship with the Lord God. It was his presence, it was his presence that he enjoyed. Let me tell you something. Moses knew the deep things of God by being in the presence of, the, of God. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul. Turn in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. The Apostle Paul writes that he would grant you, he writes the church at Ephesus, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, the height and depth. Notice this. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now that's that Greek word. We've talked about that again. That's gnosko. That's the Greek word. That means to experientially know. So look what the Apostle Paul is saying. That you would experientially know God. That you would experientially know the love of Christ. And that love of Christ surpasses all knowledge that you could acquire. And that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. That should be the mission statement for the church, shouldn't it? I think it should be. That we would know Him, that we would know the love of Christ, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. We're filled with so much other different stuff. We're filled with politics, and we're filled with sports, and we're filled with entertainment, and we're filled with secular wisdom, and we're filled with the news, and we're filled with so much garbage, and garbage on top of garbage, but the last thing we're filled with is the fullness of God. If the church was filled with the fullness of God, this country would be so radically different. Look what Paul told the church in Philippi. He said this was his goal. It's like Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Philippians 3, 10. 
that I may know him. Oh boy. That I may know who? Who do you want to know? He's talking about Christ. That I may know him. That I may know the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed even unto his death. Church, we need to be men and women that know Christ. And you're not going to know Christ if you don't desire Christ. And you're not going to know Christ if you don't spend time with Christ. And you're not going to know what it is to be in the throne room of God if you're never in the throne room of God. And if your only communication with God are the 911 calls that you send out in an emergency, or they're the request when you want something, you're never going to know God. And that's why so many people don't know God. You are defrauding yourself of the riches of God. Paul tells the church at Colossians, don't defraud yourself with other synthetic nonsense. He doesn't use those terms exactly. That's me paraphrasing. But he's saying, don't, don't, don't defraud yourself. Listen, we have been granted. Listen, how many times do you hear people go around, oh, my, my father owns the king on a thousand hills. You know, Oh, I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves me so. And they, they love all the cliches, right? The Christian uh, verses that speak to victory. Oh, just claim that verse, brother. Just claim that verse. Man, you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ, right? And then 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later they're defeated. Why is that? The reason is, intellectual knowledge is not the power of God. It's when the intellectual knowledge of Scripture is united by faith. Then you come into the fullness of God. I often wonder if we truly believe what it is we say we believe. Do we believe it? Do we hold it? Is it affirmed in our heart? That's the most important thing. That's why the Apostle Paul could tell the church at Corinth, we walk not by sight, but by faith. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, before he gives the famous speech, I fought the good fight, says, all in Asia have deserted me. But I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I finish the course. I shared with you over the last two weeks that in the, in the illustration of the rich young ruler that there was, there was a cost to follow Jesus. And so great was the cost that this moral, decent, good human being according to our standard walked away grieved at the cost to follow Christ. Will that be some of us? Church, I submit to you that nothing is more precious than knowing the presence of God. Nothing can exceed knowing the presence of God. I fear that when I preach on such things as the presence of God, that there may be some of you who have not experienced the presence of God who would be saying or thinking to yourself that this presence is unobtainable. And I'm here to tell you that it's not. Christ died that we would enter into a relationship with Him. That we would know Him. That through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit, we can come into the fullness of the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. 
Listen to some of the words of some really great Christians. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's the, one of the greatest expositors of the 20th century. Listen to his words. What is it that inevitably happens when one is baptized by the Lord Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit? Well, first and foremost, I think we must put it this way. A sense of the glory of God. An unusual sense of the presence of God. He goes on to add, what the Holy Spirit does is make real to us the things which we have believed by faith, the things which we have had, but a kind of indirect certainty only. He then concludes in another statement. Is not this our trouble, my dear friends, that we talk about a God and we believe in a God, but we do not know the God, the God of glory? I believe there's truth to that. J.I. Packer, who wrote that phenomenal, phenomenal book, Knowing God, says this, Knowing God is more than knowing about Him, meaning God. It is a matter of dealing with Him as He opens up to you and being dealt with uh, Him as He takes knowledge of you. You can have all the right notions in your head without ever tasting in your heart the realities to which they refer. I got sticky fingers here. Just bear with me because... D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, says this, Let us cry to God that we may have a double portion of His Holy Spirit, that we may not rest satisfied with the worldly state of living, but let us, like Samson, shake ourselves and come out from the world that we might have the power of God. Now what did all these three men have in common? They were all men. They all had mothers and fathers. As we used to say, as my coach used to say, my football coach used to say, they all put their pants on one leg at a time. There was nothing special about them except their pursuit of God. And I've said this a million times, sometimes we meet other Christians and, and we sit and we talk to them and our hearts burn within us and, and they leave and they go, oh my goodness, did you hear the way that guy talked? I want to be a Christian like that. Well, you can be a Christian like that. If you are saved, if you are born again, if you are sanctified, if you are in Christ, if you desire the things of the Spirit, if you want to know God, He says, if you seek me, I will allow myself to be found if you seek me with all of your heart. Well, what happens? What happens is so many times we don't seek them with all of our heart. And we'd be lucky if we seek them with 10% of our heart. And consequently, we don't come into the fullness of knowing God. Moses' cry was to know God and not merely to know about Him. It was the yearning of his heart. It should be the desire and the yearning and the greatest affection of, of the believer's heart. Was not this what Jesus expressed in Matthew eleven twenty nine, when he said, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. 
That rest is a type of salvation. You shall find salvation for your souls when you come to me with all of your heart. I often think, when will we shake off the deadness and the traditionalism of fame Christianity and plunge deep, deep, deep into the well of God? To find that our Lord is there to meet us and that the Lord is there to fill us and that the Lord is there to dwell in us and to be with us. Listen, it's not not a metaphysical thing. It is the Lord of glory. Do we not believe that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That we no longer go to buildings made by men where supposedly the Spirit of God dwells? But if you are born again, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That is not a metaphysical thing. That is a literal fact. The Spirit of God, if you are born again, dwells inside you. Why does He do that? He does that so that you may know Him. That the barrier is broken down. That the veil has been torn. What was the significance of the veil being torn? The old covenant is done away, but there's a greater significance. There is no longer a barrier between God and man. From now on, God will dwell in those who repent and come to faith in Christ. That's the purpose of the veil. He is no longer there in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is here now. The Spirit of God comes And he dwells with us. That's what the great people of God do. This is what the great people of God know today. And that is the desire of God for his people. Christianity being born again is not merely theological or intellectual points that we ascend to. And we share with other common like-minded people. The believer has been transformed. The believer has been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural power that comes in and invades. It is a supernatural being that comes in and invades. It is the Spirit of God that now permeates and penetrates the person upon salvation. And the very Spirit of God has come to tabernacle within us. Oh, that I may know God. We are not to be as the rest of the world. Listen to this. We're not to be as the rest of the world. We're not bound by the same sins. Popular thing today, right? You'll hear if you've been to AA or any of these 12-step programs, right? You'll hear, oh, you know, you go in there and you say, well, my name is Bill. I'm an alcoholic. Well, here's the news. If you were in Christ, you were an alcoholic. If you were in Christ, you were a drug addict. If you were in Christ, you were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerated. You are no longer identified by your past sins. And we are not to be part of the world. We are not to be camouflaged by the world's scenery. We are to be those people that Peter talked about who declare the excellencies of Him who has called us out of His darkness into His marvelous light. 
Has not the Lord Jesus Christ told us so and commanded us the following? Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I often wonder at my funeral if some of you are going to be there one day. I think probably you're going to go up there and say, I remember Pastor Mark, and what he taught me is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But I will not discount that that is one of the most singular, most powerful statements on regeneration there is in the Bible. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all things shall be added unto you. The apostle Paul said this in Acts 17. That they would seek God. This was the God's will. That they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and, and exist. And we have our being. I know about groping. As I shared with some of you this week, been sick this entire week. And the one consistent thing throughout the week has been vertigo. And I know in the middle of the night when I wake up and I have to go to another room. <laughs> and I know as I come around my bed and the vertigo is pulling me one way and I'm going another way, that I grope for the furniture. And I grope for the wall so that I could steady myself. And I grope for the door so that I know where I am. Oh, that God would have us as those groping for Him. Where are You, God? Where are You, God? Anchor me, God. Cling to me, God. I need You, God. I've got to find You. Revelations 3.12 he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven, my God and my new name. He who overcomes, he who presses on, he who continues to persevere, he who does not relent, he who does not bow the knee to Baal, he, he who does not bow the knee to the culture, he who does not bow to all the things that, that our culture is telling us to do, he who doesn't bow down to the knee to the government, he who wants to tell us to do ungodly things. It is only he and he alone. And how can we do this? The only way we can do it is not by might not by strength but by my spirit saith the lord he is the only one who can sustain us he is the only one who can hold us he is the only one who will give us power and he will be the one to successfully see us through so in verse 13 we see moses if i have found favor in thy sight let me know thy ways that I may know thee. The second thing Moses or the third thing Moses asked for. That he might have the favor of God. Look at the second half. That I may know thee. That I might find favor in thy sight. That word favor in the Hebrew is translated grace. That I may have grace. I may have acceptance with God. Psalm 30 Verses 4 and 5 says, Sing praise to the Lord, you His godly one. 
and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor, His grace, His acceptance is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy may come in the morning. Despite the sin of the people, despite Moses' own frustration and anger with the people, Moses' repentant heart and his desire of his heart that he may know God and he may find the favor, the grace of God. Note that he is not merely content with right standing. I want to point this out. It's not that Moses is content with right standing. So many people who come to Christ are content with right standing. Oh, I have been justified in the eyes of God, and that is the extent of the Christianity. They never get past the justification. And they are good Christians. But God has given us so much past the justification. It is the knowledge of Him and the grace and favor of God. I believe we see in Moses not only a type of Christ, but I believe we see in Moses a type of Christian. Yearning for God, longing for God, longing for the fullness of God in his life. This is a common theme, by the way. If you study anything about church history, if you read some of the old great men of church history, this is a common theme that runs through it like a consistent narrative. They yearned for God. I always tell you it's a high calling to be called a Christian, right? It's a high calling. It's not easy. It's not I accepted Jesus Christ and then the story ends. But you embark on this glorious journey. I look back on my life. Believe me, I look back on my life from sin to sanctification. How's that possible? Only by God. And the Spirit's prompting to go deeper. Go deeper. Don't be satisfied. Go deeper. The admonition I have for every Christian in this place, the admonition I have for every Christian ever hearing this message, go deeper in God. He has so much more for you. There's so much joy. There's so much contentment. Listen, forget the things of the world and forget the things that people are pushing in their theology today that God wants you to have all these material blessings. No, God wants you to know Him and in knowing Him, you have that which is eternal, that which is forever, that which cannot be taken away. You're treasures are stored up in heaven where a moth can't corrupt and rust can't corrupt and a thief can't come in and steal. They are permanent. They are secure. They're protected by God, by the power of God, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1. That's the desire. That's the glory. Hey, how are we going to enjoy heaven if we don't enjoy spending time with the Lord today? So the question really becomes, as Moses, do we seek the favor of God? So pursuant was Moses of this grace that in verse 11, the presence of God would rest outside his tent, as I just shared with you. And God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaketh to a friend. A. Want to talk about being accepted by God? That's being accepted by God. 
Church, in these days of wickedness, these days of evil, persecution, how can we not go full heart after the presence of God? What shall sustain us in an evil world? I don't have to preach the evil to you. You know it. All you have to do is turn on the boob tube. Put the news and evil. It's like today's evil report. I don't think the only thing that's not evil is, is the weather. And even that's getting evil with all the climate nonsense. Please don't put your confidence in a political process. Please don't put your confidence in a man or in a woman. Don't put your confidence in wealth, comfort, job, security, or family. They will all fail. Listen, we just heard a former co-worker of my wife yesterday. We got horrifying news. A mother of two. Their children were visiting their father in another state. There was a terrible car accident. The 15-year-old son passed away. The younger daughter is in critical condition. And her ex-husband is in critical condition. Life is fragile. We don't know. And it's not a scare tactic. This is just reality. If I, if I had a dime for every young person's funeral that I either went to or we knew, I would have more money than I would want. Barbara and I just seem to have been around this for a very long time, both personally been infused in it and with people we work with. But what's the point? The point is this. You could have had all the money stored up. You could have had... $5 billion in your 401k. You could have owned two houses. You could have done this, that, and the other thing. At the end of the day, it's God. If you don't have that relationship with God, it doesn't matter. Moses desired the favor in the presence of God. Everything else we put our confidence in can and oftentimes will fail us. Lastly, there's another point I want to make here. In verse 14, the Lord answers Moses. He says, my presence shall go with you. And there's a great word there. That word presence is better translated, my face will go with you. So Moses asked for God's favor. He asked that he would know him. He asked that that presence would go with him. And God says, my face will go with you. And then in verse 15, he said, then he said to him, Lotus Moses' heart. He says to him, if thy presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. I love that, man. I love that because take a look at that. What Moses is saying, Father, if you're not going to lead me, if you're not going to come, I don't care if you're going to send an angel because that's what the Lord told him beforehand. Hey, I'm going to send an angel to go ahead of you, but I'm not going to go. And what's Moses' response? If you don't go, I don't want to go. If you're not going to lead me, I don't want to go anywhere. 
And that should be the cry of the church. Lord, if you're not going to lead us, if you're not going to go before us, we don't want to do anything. And that should be the cry of the Christian. Lord, if your hand is not in this, if you're not going to lead us, I don't want to do this. I want to be with the Lord. I want the Lord. Hey, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my most favorite, favorite verses in Scripture. Ha, ha, ha. Right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Lord, I need you to direct my path. Because every time I try to blaze that trail, every time I try to direct that path, every time I try to do something that is not of you, I stumble and I fall. That's not unique to me. But what I want to call your attention to is verse 16. And this is Moses' prayer for the nation. For how then can it be known if I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not by thy going with us, so that we, I and thy people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Listen how he cries for the nation. And our nation desperately needs to turn to Christ. It does not need to return to Christ. I want to be clear with this. Our nation never was with Christ. Roe versus Wade was not the decision of a righteous nation. It wasn't the decision of godly people. And all the other ills of our society. Everybody says, America needs to return back to God. No, America needs to turn to God. They need to discover the God of salvation. They need to come to that place of repentance and faith in Christ. The nation needs to be turned. And who has God entrusted to tell the nations? He has entrusted us. Go forth. Go forth. We are to be as Isaiah. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And I love his heart. And I can easily substitute for this nation, the church. And I think about it in this context. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight? I and thy church, Lord. Is it not by thy going with us so that we, I and thy church, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth? Isn't that the ideal for God's church? That we're to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people after God's own possession, designed to call out the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light? Is that not the design for the church? But what has happened? The church has blended. The church has morphed into the world. It bought into the world system. And now it's adopting more and more of the world system. It's embracing things like critical race theory. It's embracing all these other different things. Trying to fuse it and say, this is God. At a conversation one time, I was sharing the gospel. I had a conversation one time, and the person said to me, well, isn't the gospel, isn't the gospel that, that you're supposed to go out there and, and, and you know, fight for the unjust and everything? I said, okay, yeah, well, let's take a look at that. Let's go to gospels. Can you show me where Jesus went and 
socially demonstrated for the rights of the Samaritans who were being treated unfairly by the Jews that they couldn't even walk through? When did you see Jesus walk through Samaria with protest signs and say, this is not right, we must do this? When did Jesus ever stand up and say, throw off the Roman opposition, throw it off, we got to revolt, we got to do this? Where do you see those things in the Scripture? If you could see them, I'll buy them. There is a silence. Did Jesus rock, march on Jerusalem with a crowd of people and say, end slavery now? Now listen, I want to be crystal clear. I'm not saying slavery is right, okay? Can we be absolutely, positively clear? What I'm saying is, Jesus was concerned with the gospel. He preached the God. He called out wrong. He called out sin. And just like we did this morning, we're going to call out wrong with H.R. 1 and H.R. 5. And we're going to call out wrong when it comes to abortion because it is a sin. But my point was, it was the soul. The kingdom of God is not of this world. And Jesus preached that gospel, and we are to preach that gospel to all the world. And notice as Moses is harsh for the nation. He says that the people are going to be distinguished. They're going to be distinguished by the presence of God going before him. And church, the church is to be distinguished, not by its rhetoric, not by its preaching, not by how many people go, not by its social ministry. The church of Jesus Christ is to be distinguished by the power and the presence of God that goes before it. And I love what Moses says here in verse 16. Is it not by thy going with us that we, I and thy people, may be distinguished from all other people who are on the face of the earth. And I'm going to submit something to you. I pray that prayer for Calvary. I pray that prayer for this church. Will it not be that we will be distinguished from all the others because of the work that God is doing in us and through us for the glory of the kingdom of God. Church, we need to be praying for the church of Jesus Christ in America. We need to be praying for the church in the Western world and across the globe. We need to be praying for those that are being persecuted, those that are being in prison, for those in hiding, for those whose families have been killed for the sake of the gospel. We need to be praying for those. This is getting all too common. So another video today, a friend in Australia sent of another pastor who was arrested in Australia. Was arrested for preaching the gospel, was put into solitary confinement for 10 days, denied his Bible for 8 days, then was released into general population and just got released after two and a half weeks. And they were interviewing him. And they said, what was it like? And the pastor was unshaven and his wife was waiting for him. He said this. He goes, it was an experience. But he said, I got to tell you something. The greatest joy was when I bowed with 12 other men 
to see them come to Christ in repentance and faith in that prison. Men that were broken. Men that were wept. Hardened criminals. Turning to Christ. He then looked at the guy and said, so it was worth it. He's still facing charges, by the way. He just got paroled. This is becoming an all-too-frequent thing in the Western world. Pastors being arrested. I said to Barbara just the other day, I said, I never thought at this age I would have to worry about dying in jail. How will unbelievers know who is the Lord's if not the power and the presence of God go before us? Are we distinct from the world because the power and the presence of God goes before us? Listen to the words of A.W. Tozer. The single greatest need of the church today is simple, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to work in Him, and to have Him work through us using the Scriptures as His channel to transform lives around us. So what about us? Do we hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit's filling and leading in our lives? Let me close with a few thoughts. So intent was Moses on desiring the presence of God for him and the people of Israel that he quite clearly states if God will not lead him, he would not go forward. Even if an angel led. Hey, if, if, if we had that deal and said, the Lord said, hey, I'm going to send an angel down there. The angel's going to lead you. I'd be like, yeah, Lord, you know, send them, send two, send three. But so intent was his desire and his hunger for the presence of God in his life. The reality of God. He's like, Lord, unless you lead, I'm not going. Church, we're living in a day and age where there is so much foolishness, ignorance, and heresy that has abounded and entered the church of Jesus Christ. There's an abundance of false teachers on the Christian landscape. And do you know this? I don't know if you know this. False teachers are a judgment from God. Do you know that? The Scripture says when people sin wickedly, God gives them false teachers, false prophets. What does that say about America? My goodness, you're going to basically have to take TBN off the air. What does it say? All the false teachers that are out there that are just promoting heresy and heresy and heresy and heresy and deceiving God's people. Many churches have a false Holy Spirit that leads them. One of confusion and chaos and other churches will not speak of the Holy Spirit. Some churches wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if He punched them in the face. Listen, we here at Calvary Calvary need to be people like Moses. We need to seek the face of God. We need to turn from everything else and seek and honor God. Church, there isn't any more time. I don't know if I can make that clear enough. There's no more time. You don't see the enemy at the gate? The enemy's not only at the gate, the enemy's right out that door. And his desire is who? Us. In a society where there is no longer absolute truth. There's no longer, you you know that, right? There's no longer absolute truth. In a society where there's no longer absolute truth, 
Who is public enemy number one? It is the church because we present and we proclaim God's truth and they are out to silence the church. Let me tell you something. Our government is out to silence the church. Our culture is out to silence the church. Our universities are out to silence the church. Our school systems are out to silence the church. We are the truth bearers. We are the ones that proclaim life. And it is imperative to their wicked agenda and the agenda of the enemy to silence us and wipe us out. Hey, I just shared with you two bills that are before the U.S. Senate that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you would never have imagined would have been brought before the Senate. If these two things pass, we're going to have some problems, folks. Look, we lost our meeting place because we wouldn't succumb to the agenda of the world. We lost our meeting place. This has happened to us. Listen to the words of Isaiah, and I'll close. Isaiah 55, 5 and 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and He will have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Praise God. Are those not words of joy? Are those not words of of, of love? Are those not words that we all need to hear? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Break your habits. Get rid of all the dross. Stop listening to the garbage that's out there. Pursue God. Come into Him. And now is the time to turn to Christ. To seek the face of God. To return to Him. To experience the pardon of God. The fullness of His Spirit. To be bold for Christ and to advance the kingdom of God on earth. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Mighty Father, to you be all the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise. We bless your name. Yet again, Father, it is such a weighty, weighty subject to speak about desiring God. Oh, Father, forgive us our sins as we are all guilty of a general apathy and a, a malaise, an indifference to You. But, oh God, will You awaken us, oh God. May we hear the words, Lord, we prayed at the beginning of the service, Lord, that You would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And your spirit has spoken. And now, Lord, now's the time when we have to become doers of the word. 
and not merely hearers of the word. Father, break our hearts and bring us to repentance, O God. Let us cast off, Lord, the sin and the weight and the entanglement. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Lord, that we would seek the Lord while you may be found, and that we will call upon you while you are near, that we would forsake our wicked ways, O God, and the unrighteous his thoughts, and let us return to the Lord, And Lord, the blessed words, you will have compassion upon us and you will indeed abundantly pardon. During this time of prayer, I'm going to ask each individual, the call goes out to the church, What has been keeping you from the presence of God? What has been keeping you from the favor of God? What has been hindering your pursuit of Him? Maybe at this moment right now, as we're in the presence of God right at this moment, Maybe between you and God right now, there is some sin. Maybe you've put your trust in money, your job, your career. Maybe you put your trust in politics, in the political process, in government. Maybe you've just been flat out indifferent. You haven't really cared. Maybe at this time, between you and our Holy Father, would you quietly confess and repent of any known sin? You just heard the Word of God. He will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord while He is near. Don't you want your faith, your Christianity to be transformed from weak and powerless to powerless and mighty through the work of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you never even asked God for that. Will you do that right now? I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle. I'm not going to ask you to jump up and down. This is a private moment between you and the living God. Will you do that? And, and will you say like the prophet Isaiah, Lord, here I am. Send me in whatever capacity, in whatever way, Father, you choose to use me. And will you join me in praying that God would bring revival to his church and specifically that God would bring revival to Calvary.
Make your vow with integrity. Don't say something you don't mean. But if you said it, if you prayed it, ask God today that He would lead you and go before you. Father, during this holy time, we thank you for your mercies and grace. Change hearts today, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless God.